So we come to church this Sunday on Palm Sunday, as Mikhail was telling us, and we complete our Lenten series, Words to Lent By. Today, we're going to look at this word, commit. Um, we're actually going to look at a broader section of words, a collection of words that um, Jesus said from the cross. So as Mikhail was saying, there was a lot of expectation for the Messiah to come for someone to come as a king of Israel and to deliver uh, the Israelites, deliver them at that time from Roman rule. But as Jesus came in, he came in not as a kind of a military conqueror. In fact, he didn't even come in as a politician. Uh, interesting person, Jesus. You know, he never wrote a book. Um, he never led an army. He never uh, was the president of a nation. But yet he comes in his humility on the day that we call Palm Sunday, and he presents himself um, there to the people in Jerusalem, but he was very different than what they had hoped for. He was different than what they expected. He was um, not the conqueror that uh, they might have wished, but he was this different kind of king. We can see this particularly in the words that Jesus speaks from the cross. So this first word is forgiveness. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, as it recorded in Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness is at the heart of who Jesus is. Forgiveness is at the heart of what Jesus has come to do. Uh, following Jesus means that we too are kind of called to be forgivers. In Isaiah, he writes this. He says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, but that, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, and I did not turn backward. I imagine Isaiah is saying this about himself, but we also understand that prophetically he could be saying this about Jesus. He continues, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheek to those who pulled out, of the, who pulled out the beard, and I did not hide my face from insult and from spitting. And the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Uh, who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them comfort me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will, who will declare me guilty? Obviously, Jesus could have responded uh, to his rejection or to his, uh, his beatings, um, to the insults that were given to him in a variety of different ways. And certainly, our natural inclination is not to respond to evil with kindness. Our, our natural inclination is not to respond to um, insult with blessing. And, I, and I'm not saying that somehow naturally this comes to me, and I'm not expecting it somehow naturally to come to you. But I am saying that Jesus has set an example for us when it comes to forgiveness. 
You see, forgiveness is not just something that we need. That is, we need to be forgiven when we do wrong. But forgiveness is something that we need to give. And this is at the heart of who Jesus is. And so I'm going to encourage us today both to ask for forgiveness and to be forgivers. Let's look at this, at this second word, um, salvation. Um, it's in here somewhere. Yeah. So Jesus says to um, one of the thieves on the cross, he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So these are the words of Jesus, interestingly enough, to a rebel, to someone who's being kind of crucified by the Romans. So interestingly, this only is recorded in Luke's gospel. And as we know, Jesus was crucified between two other criminals, two other people who were being executed by the state. What's interesting about Roman execution is the Romans did not execute people for common crimes. It's not like these were thieves in the sense of a robber, someone that kind of was a shoplifter. Uh, in the ancient world, if you shoplift, uh, they might cut off your hand. They might throw you in jail. But crucifixion was something the Romans reserved for capital offense. And these folks who are being crucified are being crucified because they have rebelled against Rome. And so one thief on one side of Jesus says, hey, if you're the Christ then free, free yourself and free us too. Like if you're the one that we've all been waiting for, set yourself free, set us free, and we'll kill ourselves from Romans today and establish the kingdom of God. But the other thief says, Don't, do you have any sense of, of, of who God is? Do you have any sense of kind of fear or awe? Do you not know who you're talking to? And his comment to Jesus is pretty simple. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response, of course, is today you'll be with me in paradise. There's so much that, that could be said here. Um, it's interesting that the, the thief on the cross didn't have to walk down the Roman road. You know, the old evangelism way of being, Yeah. It's, the, the thief on the cross wasn't asked to kind of say lots of prayers. He was just there with Jesus. And he said, remember me. And Jesus said, I got you, brother. Now, that's a fascinating uh, story. And it kind of runs counter to some of the ways we sometimes tell the story. But nevertheless, it is part of the story. And it's part of the story of while, while Jesus was on the cross... Jesus' invitation to him, or Jesus' comment to him, that today will be, you'll be with me in paradise, is this man's salvation. It is his kind of inclusion in the people of God, his initiation. Now, on the one hand, we don't want to take salvation, we don't want to take Christianity and kind of reduce it to just a conversion, or even take a conversion and reduce it to a decision. Right? You just make a decision once upon a time. You came down the aisle and you said a prayer. That's kind of decisionism, which is just slightly better than conversionism, which is slightly better maybe than salvationist. But we're not salvationist. We're Christians. 
A decision, a conversion, is not the end of the story. Well, now you're done. That was close call. You know, you could have been could have been bad for you, but you made a decision, and now things are good for you. It's not the end of the story; it's the beginning of the story. Now, while we are Christians, and what I think that means is much, much more than simply making a decision or having a conversion. Our Christianity. While it's more than that, it certainly does include that. The man on the cross said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There, there were words that he said. There was a confession, a, a profession that he made. And salvation, I think, does uh, involve that initial step. And so, you know, you come to church on a Palm Sunday, the chances are you've made that confession. You've made that profession. But if, if there is a chance that you found yourself kind of here today, then I would encourage you. I would invite you to, to call out to Jesus and say, when your kingdom comes, remember me. Let me be included in the coming of your kingdom. And that will be the beginning of what will happen uh, as you move into the next uh, stages of your relationship, which is the third word of relationship. Jesus, while hanging on the cross, looks down at his mother and he says, Woman, behold your son. And he looks at the beloved disciple and says, Son, behold your mother. When I was uh, preparing this sermon I was talking about it uh, with Hannah, who, who's not here today. She's uh, gone away for her spring break. But we, we talked about this particular uh, passage, and it kind of brought tears to her eyes. Right? The, the idea that sometimes it's easy for us in kind of Christian circles to kind of get past what this might have been like uh, for Mary. So here's Mary standing next to the cross, the mother of Jesus looking up and kind of seeing her son, so dearly beloved, dying a horrible death, disgraced, forsaken. You know, several years ago, Mel Gibson came out with that uh, film, The Passion of the Christ. I've never seen more Christians at the cinema in all my life, right? In fact, in the circles that I run in, I... Um, as you know, I kind of grew up Appalachian Pentecostal, and going, going to the movies was sinful. And, and so I have friends that I know that would not go to the movies to see The Passion of the Christ because that's a sin to do that. So on the one hand, I can appreciate their conviction. On the other hand, I still go to the movies. Um, so I'm there to see it, and while it was... Um, kind of beautiful cinematography in a lot of ways, and it certainly told a version of the story. There are parts of that story that I found very problematic. That is, they seem to glorify the torture of Jesus as though the extent of the suffering that Jesus encountered was, was part of the equation that provided salvation for creation and humanity. And I think that is simply not true. 
It's not the extent to which he suffered. It's the person that suffered. It's the fact that it is Jesus who's dying. It's not the particular type of death that he dies. That is, if Jesus dies, then, then sin is accounted for, independent of whether or not Jesus suffered severely. Does that make sense? That the, that, that the, severe, the severity of the suffering is not in the salvation. The salvation is in who is suffering. It is Jesus. And I, th- and I felt like the violence, in a way, got displayed in such a way that it got glorified and almost lost the sense of who, who it is that was suffering. Perhaps best expressed in the film was the way in which um, there's a scene in the film where Jesus is on the, the Via Della Rosa, right? The way of suffering. He's carrying the cross and you see it cuts back and forth between Jesus and Mary. And Mary's kind of trying to run along and trying to kind of catch up and catch another glimpse of Jesus. And she's having these flashbacks of Jesus as a child where he's kind of running and playing and he kind of falls down and he skins his knee and, he, you know, and she runs to him and kind of scoops him up and kind of cares for him, which certainly she would have longed to do uh, at this moment. And it's, it's that that I think we need to capture, right? Is that Jesus bled uh, before the cross, right? Jesus' Jesus's humanity, the, the very kind of sacrifice of the, of the incarnation, of, of God becoming flesh, this kind of eternal sacrifice of the Son. This is, this is what I think we have in this relationship, that God so longs to be in relationship with humanity, which includes us, of course, that God is willing for the Son to become human. And that humanity is kind of the point at which we get this kind of closest relationship uh, to God. So Jesus on the cross says to Mary, Behold your Son. Like, I'm not going to be here, but uh, you can care for Him. And he'll care for you. He says to the beloved disciple, behold your mother. It's, we use this uh, imagery sometimes, you know, we call ourselves the family of God. And again, growing up, we used to call ourselves brother and sister. And I love that imagery. I love that imagery. You are my brothers and sisters. And I'm your brother. And you, don't, you might not like me, I don't know. <laughs> Right? Some, sometimes we get at odds with our family members. And sometimes we think, um, I'm not so sure I want to be around you right now. I'm not so sure I want to talk to you right now. But at the end of the day, we're family. We stick together. Right? There are other places we could go. But we come here because we're committed to this fellowship. Because we love one another. Because we're part of the same family. Uh, that extends in other ways too. Not that I think this is a problem here. 
Like I think there's a general sense at Oasis that we are, we are one expression of the family of God and there are lots of other expressions in Lakeland and Polk County around the world. But it is kind of important, I think, to remember that when we take communion, it's not just us that's coming together. It's all those who come to the table of the Lord who come together. Let's look at this next word, abandonment, which is an interesting word to go to after relationship. But we, all of us who have been in relationships know that sometimes it feels like those were, that we are in relationship with uh, abandon us. And sometimes that's real and sometimes that's felt. But with this word, uh, Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now it doesn't say that Jesus actually was forsaken by the Father. I remember hearing sometimes it says that people would say that the Father kind of turned his back on Jesus. That's not a scriptural idea. God never turns his back on Jesus. Jesus is hanging on a cross, and that might very well look like God has turned his back on him, and Jesus might have felt like God has turned his back on him, but that's not the same as saying that God actually turned his back on him. God never stops loving Jesus, and Jesus never stops loving us. And even though sometimes in the midst of our troubles, our trials, our hardships, the kind of the tragedies of life, we might feel like God has abandoned us. Um, and that's, that's a real feeling. It's ultimately not an abandonment. Not by God. God is with you. Always. Always and forever. There's this sense, though, that Jesus does abandon the... The, um, the pleasures and the, the comfort of divine reality. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians. He says, Let the same mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was made in the form of God, or excuse me, uh, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has also exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth." And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, glory of, to the glory of the Father. So this is a visual. So if you can, look this way. So <clears throat> Jesus, right, had this kind of full divinity. And instead of holding on to it as something that, you know, he didn't want to let go of, he emptied himself. He emptied himself to the point that he became a human. And as a human, he was obedient to the point that he died on a cross. That is a sense of abandonment. There's an abandonment. There's this emptying that Jesus does for our sake. Even though 
He was like God. He emptied himself to the point of becoming a human and was obedient to the point of dying on a cross. Sometimes I think we, we miss the significance of, of that event. We don't miss it in the sense that we know that it's part of the story and we kind of believe in the cross and resurrection and we're in this time of Christian season where we celebrate it. I mean, this is the week that, you know, Jesus would kind of cleanse the temple. This is the week that he gets, uh, his feet get anointed. This is the week that he sits at the table and says, this is my body which is broken for you and this is my blood which is shed for you. This is that week. But we can't overlook the fact that Jesus' humanity is not something that he kind of temporarily puts on and then later takes off. The emptying of, of Jesus to the point of becoming human and the obedience to the point of dying on a cross. Now, God does post-death raise him up, right? Literally raise him up like resurrection and then sets him above everyone else so that kind of by his name all can be saved. But he's still human, right? There was a, there was a bodily resurrection. Jesus' humanity didn't just last from his birth to his death. It lasts from his birth through eternity. God so much wants to be with us that God's willing to literally be like us so that we can be like God. Now that's good news. That's love. That's commitment. <laughs> that's Abandonment. Next is distress. So to take Jesus' humanity seriously is to realize that Jesus did uh, have the limitations of humans. And he would feel that distress. We see it here with the simple phrase, I thirst. In the early church, sometimes... Um, Christians were starting to kind of deny the humanity of Jesus as they started to embrace his divinity. And they thought that somehow his divinity was overcoming his humanity. So that in order for Jesus to be fully divine, he couldn't be fully human. Not, not, at least not human like us. But in 2 John, it says, the one who denies that Jesus was a human being speaks with the spirit of Antichrist. And, and just in case you don't know, if, if Scripture says you're talking like the Antichrist, that means you're talking wrong. <laughs> yeah, that means you're saying the wrong thing, right? So to say that Jesus wasn't human is to speak with the spirit of Antichrist, which means that when Jesus didn't sleep, he got tired. And when he didn't eat, he got hungry. And when he didn't drink, he got thirsty. It meant when his friends abandoned him, he would get distressed it meant that he went through some of the emotional struggles that we go through. It meant that when he hung on the cross, he said, I'm thirsty because he was human. Now, I know I've said this before, but perhaps it bears repeating. The, hum the humanity of Jesus is kind of the true example as to what humans are made to be like. Yeah? So, if we state 
that the standard of humanity is like us, then we have a hard time imagining Jesus coming down to the level where we are. But to say it's Jesus human like us is kind of to ask the wrong question. The real question should be, are we human like Jesus? That is, if Scripture says that Jesus is the fullness of humanity, then it's only to the extent that we're like Jesus that we're fully human. And that when we're not like Jesus, we, we're kind of subhuman. We're, we're, like, we're not like humans are made to be. So when we're full of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, when we stand up for justice, when we behave like Jesus, then we kind of become who we're meant to be, fully human. It's when we're selfish and uh, greedy and disconcerned about the needs of others that we become kind of, we, we give in to just the, the desires of our, um, our bodies. And, and we become these folks that are, are just kind of self-serving. That those, those instincts kind of make us less human, less like Jesus. So there is good news that this relationship while there is this experience of abandonment and distress, kind of ends in triumph. Here we see Jesus saying, it is finished. It's done. This part of the story is coming to a close. Look, I know this life can be hard, my life hasn't been easy all the time, and I know, I know enough of you to know that your lives have not all been, always been easy either. But the question is not how we start. The question is not how well we run here and there. But the real question is, how do we finish? Right? It doesn't matter how often you fall down. I get it, it's tough. But, but call out for help. Call to the Lord. Call us. Call me. Yeah. We can be dusted off. We can get back up. And we can keep going. You see, Jesus could have stopped at multiple points along the way. In the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, We'll remember this kind of Thursday night, right? And we'll walk through it uh, for those of you who come to the way of suffering on Friday. You see Jesus in this kind of despair. Like, whoa, this is harder than I anticipated. This is worse than I thought. Let's do something else. Father, let this cup pass from me. Right? Jesus, Jesus had an opportunity to leave. He could have gone back to Galilee, let things cool off. Things were going well up there, right? He had a good ministry in Capernaum, you know, maybe just keep it grassroots, right? No need to take it to the capital, <laughs> right? Jesus could have given in to that temptation. And according to what we believe, Jesus could have stopped kind of the, at any point along the way. But he doesn't, right? He doesn't leave. He stays. 
And he stays to the point, he's obedient to the point, right, Paul says, of death on a cross. And at the very end, he can say, now it's done. It's finished. Interestingly enough, it's the same word that comes from the throne in Revelation uh, chapter, um, I should know this, chapter 17, uh, chapter 16, excuse me. Um, when all the bold trumpets are being, or the bold judgments are being poured out, the last one's poured out and it just says, it is finished. It's done. Jesus has taken the worst that the world has to offer and he hasn't responded with evil. He's taken the worst the world has to offer and he himself has not become evil. There's, there is a, a last word, a word after triumph, and this is the word commitment. Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Now, that, that commitment, I think, is the commitment that we are now all called to. That is, we need forgiveness and we need to be forgiven. Uh, the forgiveness that we need provides for us a salvation. That salvation puts us into relationship. That relationship, it can be difficult. It certainly, hopefully, is long. And sometimes we experience abandonment and distress. But we know that the end of the story is triumph. And this happens when we make a commitment. Hopefully the day will come when all of us can commit our spirits to the Father. But today, we can commit our lives to the Father. Certainly there are plenty of Christians in the world who are up against severe persecution. To be Christian is to run the risk of losing your job or being thrown in jail or perhaps being put to death. That's not the case in Lakeland. Right? Nobody's getting persecuted in Lakeland for their Christianity. And being Christian in Lakeland is like the norm. You don't ask people if they go to church. You ask them where they go to church. This, this is not that hard spot. The question for us is not, are you willing to die for Christ? Because frankly, if you live in Lakeland, you're not going to get an opportunity to die for Christ. The question in Lakeland is, will you live for Christ? Will you commit? And that's the question I have for you today. Will you live for Christ? Will you commit your spirit, your heart, your body, your hands, your feet to the work of the kingdom? On the back of the card is a prayer. And I'm going to invite us to pray this in unison today as part of our closing. So the prayer is on the screen or... Uh, it's on the card and you can 
uh, read along as we pray together. So let's, let's all pray this prayer together aloud. Pray with me. God of heaven and earth, you are great and worthy of our praise and devotion. We are grateful for the gift of your Son, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Through his life, death, and resurrection, you have worked your great salvation. Give us faith to respond to your grace. Help us perceive the depths of your love. Fill us with compassion so that we too may live like Christ lived, empowered by your Spirit. We commit ourselves to you and your gospel. We pray in the name of Jesus and the presence of the Spirit. Amen.